Welcome to a very special episode of the Like a Bigfoot podcast. 100 mountains, 100 days. Calvin Johansson did it. He finished the 14ers project. And this is going to be our 14ers project celebration. Quick plug for this podcast. If you haven't listened to episode number two with Calvin Johansson, as he was in the midst of the 14ers project, go back and listen to that. He tells some hilarious harrowing, harrowing, harrowing. I don't know. He tells some scary ass stories about climbing these ginormous mountains. So this is going to be another overly long intro to the podcast where I ramble and ramble. I'm just kidding. Let's get right into it. 14ers Project Celebration with one of my best friends in the whole wide world, Calvin Johansson. Congrats, buddy. On three? Yep. On three. One. Oh, I was about to do it. <laughs> Not on three. <laughs> All right. One, two, Three. All right, man. Here's why I wanted to have you on as a celebration for finishing the 14ers project. It's about damn time. That's the, <laughs> you know, you're drinking about damn time beer, and I'm drinking a Maroon Bell's Guava Ale. Both seem perfectly fitting. It's pretty good. It's kind of weird tasting, but it tastes like tea. This is like beer tea. This is like a super pretty citrusy IPA, but doesn't have that super hop taste. So a really subtle IPA, but more citrusy. <laughs> well, bright tropical fruit. That makes sense now. <laughs> this is amazing. I love it. We were just talking about how we, if we taste a wine, we're just like, oh, it's good. Like we just aren't descriptive with anything. <laughs> and so that's what we're doing now. Yep. Uh, we're working on our future publications of, you know, reviewing certain things in the world bakery reviews <laughs> bakery reviews yeah where we're just like oh this bakery is pretty good it's pretty uh sugary and delicious <laughs> next and calvin just bought out half the bakery in town it was inspired by the bakery up the street yeah the oatmeal so, cream pot cookies now that i'm finished with the 14ers i can just eat as many cookies as i want uh okay I, I was talking to one of my hiking partners i'm sure along the way um of just being like Wow, and I got to the final summit. We were kind of rushed off it because we still had a really long night to get back to camp. My partner was shot, um, so we kind of rushed out of it, but it was just kind of like very anticlimactic. Climatic? Climactic? Climactic. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, so anticlimactic that, I don't know, I can't speak anymore. But uh, Which kind of reminded me of Joe Grant's thing he also did. Mm -hmm. He was an uh, ultra runner who biked and ran the 14ers in Colorado. He talked about, yeah, when he finished, he was just like pulled up into his driveway and it was just like, oh, you're done. It was very anticlimactic. He just sat on his porch, right? Just sat on his dog. porch. And it did. It hit me. I, I was backpacking out of the yeah, what was the last? What was the last mountain? So I went back to finish a Palisades Traverse and Mount Sill would have been my final mountain. And then uh, we stayed at camp that night. We backpacked out the next day. And I remember finally getting out, which I was, I was just excited to be done with it you know to get to the parking lot yeah um and i remember and now we're kind of going on a tangent i ran into a guy there an older guy he like offered me a beer and his wife and i was just kind of like no nah, like 
really wasn't feeling celebratory. I was waiting to get into town. And I don't know why. It just, like, hadn't really hit me. But overall, like, yeah, no big parade, no big, hey, it's over. It's just kind of uh, the idea that it really was more about the journey than the end destination where a lot of people get caught up in that destination. And maybe at some point I did, too, a little bit. Uh, after you go so long, you're like, oh, something's going to be big on this final day. But you realize, I don't know, it's probably a metaphor for life and a lot of other things that it just is. Well, mountain climbing is kind of perfect for that because the destination is always at the top. And unless you're getting helicoptered away, once you get <laughs> yeah. to the top, you have to hike all the way back. Yeah, the thing with climbing mountains is, yeah, everyone thinks the summit's the end point. Um, there's kind of a famous saying around Mount Everest, right? Probably the most famous mountain in the world. It's the biggest mountain. Everyone thinks getting to the summit, they've made it, they succeeded, but they're only half done because they actually have to go back down. And that's where a lot of deaths typically happen because people yeah. have exhausted themselves, not saving some in the tank, being smart for the descents. Like that's where it gets people. Also, I think I've heard about that in, in athletic events or races that most injuries and accidents happen like on that last like 20% near the finish line. Or it might even mean less number than that just because people, they think they've they're done it's over so they kind of start coasting and they don't pay attention as much and like that's where the easy accidents and slip-ups happen yeah, they change their form or whatever yeah yeah so you're not done until you're done and with mountain climbing you gotta go up and then you gotta come down yeah so even like after you got to the top you're like well i still have to go down until technically i'm through this project yeah it's a good point of yeah i guess so sitting on the summit of mount sill which we had a very long ways to go i don't think we realized how far a just get back to camp that night after a very exhausting day but then just even the backpack out the next day like the eight miles or ten miles or something but yeah you weren't and then i had to still drive from <laughs> then i was in california and i had to drive all the way back to des moines like that's kind of like that road trip of still like I'm still in this of like it really doesn't end until yeah. maybe I get back to Des Moines and I yeah. can finally clean out my car, <laughs> like which was like weeks later. Yeah, well, um, I mean not to drive but cleaning, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I spent you know uh, I spent like an extra week in Colorado just kind of decompressing a little bit, seeing some friends before maybe I was just delaying going back to the real world. But yeah. then when I got back, it did take me like another week to finally maybe overcome post-depression or something to like start taking action and clean my car yeah. and start working on what was next or just getting back into the flow of life dude it's not it's probably not post protect uh post depression maybe <laughs> like it was right like i i've had that experience just coaching football too yeah i mean once you are so focused on one thing for months at a time and then that one thing is over with you kind of are like, what the hell do I do with my life now? Yeah, sense, <laughs> that sense of intense focus, they talk about that the post-marathon blues often, which I kind of experienced that in the past before. For a lot of marathon runners, they set this really big goal, especially if you're a first-time marathon runner, and you put all this training into it, like a 16 or 20-week like a twenty week program, yeah. and you finally do it, and then it's kind of like, whoa, you did it, but then you don't have a training schedule anymore, and you're just kind of like, well, what now? And it is. You'll fall into this cycle, which people do. It's kind of like the lull of coming off such an incredible high. It's that ebb and flow. You got to kind of hit kind of down low and just being like, you know, trying to reflect, accept, and adjust back into normal life a little bit before you can get back onto things. So I spent like a couple, honestly, when I got back to Des Moines, a solid two weeks for sure, if not upwards probably to a full month by the time I really started to get back in the groove of things. But I know the first week, I just couldn't pull myself to do anything, especially professionally, like getting back on the flow. 
Um, I had a little bit of drive still. The only thing that kept me going was some routines like, oh, let me go to the climbing gym or at least work out. Like, let me get out of the house, out of the funk a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it took me like a couple weeks to like kind of get over that funk and start to accept that mountain climbing was over. <laughs> and, like this crazy adventure. For the season. <laughs> For the season. Yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, like maybe really a month to really get my feet going again. And I mean, in such an experience like this where I purposely took a break in life to try and thinking I'd get clarity for other focuses and I come back with more confusion than I do have clarity. Um, but yeah, so just kind of like a, whoa, now what? it's just a matter of keep making decisions about that whole journey, not the destination thing. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, things did you have clarity about that became confusion? Um, that's a really good question. The one thing that was really clear to me, obviously, is just uh, getting out and actually doing the project and getting comfortable with it, like comfortable with like being on my own, seeking an adventure, uh, going out in the world on my own was pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but realizing the importance of adventure and taking more trips and doing those types of things and and being up and moving my body. All of a sudden, I got back and I used to, I didn't mind like car, long road trips and stuff, but now I have a really hard time sitting. And just like, after I was being so active for 100 plus days, every single day where I was just up moving my body, now to go back and sit at my computer again and work on client work is just like, uh, there's friction there in my life for sure. Um, just like that doesn't make me happy and it leads like a downward spiral of um, other habits in my life. So it's like, we're trying to figure out, I still love being creative and I do love working with computers and software and creative projects and helping clients and people. Um, but it's like, I also don't like sitting down for eight or 10 hours. I really like being up and moving yeah. around. Um, the idea of focus and how I've always struggled in the past with working on way too many things at once. And when you're trying to go everywhere, you're actually going nowhere. Yeah. And so what I really liked about taking on this kind of project, the bit of a sabbatical was the full focus was like, I was putting client work, I was putting work on hold and I was going out. My only objective was to get to the top. Um, and the first part of the challenge was the 75 mountains, but eventually it expanded to a hundred. And that was my only objective was to complete that list. And that meant every day was really just broken down saying like, what do I only have to focus on today? Which is usually just this one or two mountain summit. Like that's the only thing I have to worry about. And that was incredible feeling, the hyper focus and the power of that over consistency over a long duration of what that adds up to. Uh, So I knew I was like, man, I know I've needed the power of choosing one thing in my life and choosing 100% focus and discipline. I know what results I could give potentially. Uh, and knowing that now when I go back to, into my regular life, it's like, all right, I want to implement that exactly what I just learned. I knew <laughs> those principles, but now I really experienced it. But then soon it's like, but then here I am sitting with all these ideas and pathways and opportunities. And You're an idea man. idea man. I'm totally an idea man. Now I'm back <clears throat> in my own perpetual cycle. We have like 20 things that you want to work on. Trying to do 20 things I want to work on. <laughs> like It's really frustrating. And they're all great ideas, but yeah. focusing on one or maybe even two or three of them would be... Yeah, it's funny. I'd find myself being like, all right, here's the thing I'm going to do. Well, let me narrow it down to one or two. Okay, maybe three things. And it's like... Even allowing, to be honest, you like adding in a second thing is still taken away from that main focus of one. Like when I was doing the mountain project, and it was probably unique of, it's like, I'm going to go out, I'm going to climb 100 mountains. That's what this is. I didn't have anything else like, and I'm also going to do this and do this. There yeah. was none of that. It was just like, here's what I'm doing. Yeah. And I had to do that because if I would have uh, been distracted or trying to do one or two other things, I probably wouldn't have completed those summits. Yeah. Yeah, man. I think it needs to be said right now 
that uh, you're the first live in studio guest. It's true. I don't know if you guys picked up on that of the beer opening, but I'm in. I don't know, the Warden's Den? The war- We're trying to come up with a good name. We're trying to come up with a name for a sit-in, so if anyone out there listening has a good name for Like a Bigfoot podcast with Chris Ward, <laughs> if someone comes and sits down in his studio, what it should be called. Yeah, and I want you to imagine the studio right now. It's beautiful, obviously not soundproof because every episode has a screaming baby in the background. Maybe an airplane that went by. An airplane. We're basically, we're in an airplane. Life's not perfect. It's, you know... <laughs> It's definitely not just a tiny desk in the corner of my bedroom. Did you just shoot down the idea that we could have been in an airplane, like an Air Force One, but you just said we weren't? Oh, no, we're in an airplane, for <laughs> sure. Like that's Chris's what... bedroom is in an airplane. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Just Dead. always flying around. But this is a perfect example of, yes, we're just sitting in your bedroom, but you're making do with what you have. And you could have waited until you tried to make things more perfect or you had more equipment. But it's like, instead, mm-hmm. you're just... Getting this done, and uh, you're experimenting with this, and you're putting out episodes, which is kind of your commitment. It's kind of like, yeah, yeah. It's been amazing just the path of people I've been able to talk to. Yeah, like my when I think of on this project of, it's not like I prepared a lot of things. To be honest with you, I decided really fully do it like March or April. Like I've been thinking about it for a while, but I officially committed in like March or April, and I had like two months once I committed to get it done. And it's like, oh, at that point, once I committed. I was like, I should probably put together an itinerary, and maybe I should actually research these mountains to see if I could even do them, you know? Yeah, and yeah. so, like, eventually, I kind of got, like, a loose itinerary together and a few supplies. It was just like, let's go. And, like, I left on the journey with my car was even put together. I wasn't even organized. I, I was late, so I just threw a bunch of stuff in my car, and I started driving <laughs> west. And that's how it started, which is kind of the story of my life. Yeah. But it's like I could have sat around and kept trying to prepare and do more research and wait until the right perfect moment, which is never going to happen. Like the right perfect moment is when you make that little courageous decision of like, you know what, I'm committing to this and I'm going to do it within my limitations I currently have and just go with it, you know, a little bit blindly yeah. or be a little bit naive about it, but just keep going forward. Well, like over over analyzing something can just paralyze you from even trying to do it or releasing anything. Paralysis by analysis. Yeah. I was listening to Yvonne Chouinard, who is the founder of Patagonia, and he talked about one of his specialties of building one of the world's biggest clothing brands is he often just does things and doesn't know how to do them. So he like accidentally started a clothing company, originally started a climbing company, and that's because they were trying to make better tools for their own problems so they can climb mountains better. And all of a sudden he was like, oh, this shirt would be really cool for climbers because there's a rugby shirt, so more durable, so like... The equipment hanging on you wouldn't rub against your neck and stuff. And he goes, I didn't know anything about clothing, but I decided like I was going to sell a pair of shorts or a shirt. He goes, I didn't know anything about patterns. He goes, I tore it all apart. I figured out how to kind of stitch it with this lady I was working with. And he goes, contrary to a bunch of other people out there, he's like, there's people who analyze everything to a T, need all the scientific of the, nat- uh, the data and the numbers to make a decision. He goes, I just kind of go on my intuition and like the power of naivety and just kind of moving yeah. forward just and making progress that way yeah like i mean for me with this podcast project a lot of the times the intros i'm not completely satisfied with but there there comes a certain point where it's like hey man i'm just gonna put it out if you don't get it out now it's kind of blocking what may come anyways because like if you spend a whole year or a week trying to work on a perfect podcast intro then you can't work on the next podcast yeah. intro and it's you just got to keep strengthening that muscle it's like if you're working on your first 10 push-ups, 
but you're just thinking about them and never doing them. You're never going to vote yourself to do that 11th push-up yeah. someday. Yeah, before um, you were on episode number two, um, and we talked about your very first mountains on the 14 or on the project and they're two like notoriously easy mountains quotation marks and you just got lost going to you went to the wrong trailhead and you made it super hard (laughs) yeah but we got it done like yeah grazing and tories we to start the project off we drove in that night and thought we'd camp at the trailhead and i've done these before so i was like oh i know what to expect yeah and we just punched into google maps and there's lessons right there already uh that all these magical trailheads aren't gonna be on google that's maps. what and that's the point i'm getting at i mean you learned after that experience yeah. like oh yeah google maps might as well be a useless tool at this point yeah or there's just more it's not a useless but it's potentially it's an aid but there's other research i need to be doing yeah but also it kind of dealt with the consequence we woke up in that morning we're like <laughs> i calculated and i was like shit we're already behind it's gonna take us two hours at least to drive out and around. I was calculating potential thunderstorms at noon, just trying to play it safe. And yeah. I was like, if we don't go now, like I'm already gonna be behind today or it's gonna be off. So I know the summit's up that way. Let's try to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was the day was twice as long as hard as it should have been on day one out the gate, but <laughs> it made for an incredible experience and a lot of lessons there. Definitely, man. Well, um also last time you left us on a literal cliffhanger. And I believe you're in the Wilson Peak range. Maybe that was it. Well, I remember we did this podcast. I was out in California, but I think... Yeah, you are halfway through the project at that point. Or a little more than halfway because you just expanded it to 100. Yeah, because we did yeah. Rainier and I did some California. Um, we talked about your 30, 30 hour event. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I think... The little cliffhanger that we didn't talk about was maybe one more scarier kind of moments of in the project. Was it the most, the scariest moment? Yeah, I would say so. Even though like the 30 plus hour kind of thing, it was a different kind of scary of, like I knew, I think I was going to get through that, but this, what it was a potential, like I could see myself being seriously injured. And it was, so it was quite frightening. Yeah. Um, One of those, like you walk away from it and then, you know, 10 hours later, you're like, I'm across the state again. I'm just like going to do some more mountains the next day. I'm just like, I can't believe that just happened. You know, <laughs> uh, the quick story is uh, the Wilson group has three mountains and it. One of them between two of them is a, one of the famous four big traverses in Colorado. I think the um, Mount Wilson or is it Wilson peak Mount Wilson to El Diente has a, uh, as a traverse and I didn't actually read much about it. So I just figured like, Oh, it should, shouldn't be that bad. Um, but during that time, that weather area was monsoon season. So there's a lot of storms. So I was really trying to beat them And here. I was going to try to do all three of these mountains in a day, um, which is doable. It's just a very big day and you gotta be really conditioned. So I set off and right away, I'm just in a cloud basically all day long. Like maybe I can see 20, 30 feet, uh, and I do that way all the way up to first Wilson peak. Um, and it wasn't too bad then or it's still like, you couldn't see, like I could maybe see 30 feet, but I kept like, there's yeah. kind of a trail I was moving with it. So, you know, it was working out and then between Wilson peak to go to head down that summit and continue on to go over to Mount Wilson. Um, I got lost. <laughs> uh, I couldn't cause the cloud coverage was so thick. I couldn't see like where I was trying to go. I was just trying to use like a GPS navigator on my phone. 
Um, so I got a little lost there, so I lost time, and time is really precious because these thunderstorms are happening like 100% chance at noon, yeah. right? Um, but all of a sudden, the clouds like opened up and showed me Mount Wilson. I was like, oh my God, so it's right there. So I kind of scramble up that and uh, get to the top, to the summit, which again, I can see the clouds opened up, but they quickly closed within you know, 15, 10 minutes. It's kind of weird how it happens that way. Um, but it showed me that mountain, so I scrambled up it. And then uh, I was like, all right, now I gotta do this traverse. I've got some uh, beta, which is climber slang for information on a route. And I was like, okay, well, it's a, like a class three-ish route. It's technical in some spots, um, but doesn't sound too bad. And at this point, I was already, I had maybe like, it was maybe 11 or 10.30. I was already behind and it was getting close for thunderstorms for sure going to be there. So I jet off to head to do the traverse. And instead of taking a left, I took a right because I was doing the tra traverse backwards how more nor normal people do it. So I was trying to decipher the information and try to like work it in reverse. And instantly I found myself, I was, I knew I was off trail. And I was on some really steep technical stuff. And at this point, the time was like, it was too late. Like, I was like, I need to, what would I tell anyone else to do in this scenario? It seemed like I couldn't really backtrack because I was kind of heading down a little bit, but I was also just, I was stuck. I could only see like 15 feet at a time. So I was like, okay, if I could find like a Kular or like a gully, I can probably just work my way off this mountain and get out of here and I just won't get El Diente. I'll have to forfeit it and figure out how to do it another time. Yeah. Uh, so I tried to make the good calls. Like, all right, I'm going to bail on this traverse. Um, you know, I swallowed my pride and my ego a little bit. I was like, I need to be <laughs> safe because I'd already had a few close calls the prior week with lightning and stuff like that. That was just too scary. So I'm heading, I'm like, so I'm trying to head off. And like, every time I kept going down, I thought, okay, if I just move 15 more feet, it'll reveal itself, but it's got to get <laughs> safer. Yeah. And I was in, in the Wilson group, the, the rock texture stuff is like a lot of, I think lie is the term. I'm not good with my geology. Okay. Um, but when the rock gets wet, it's super slippery. And so I had these new shoes that I've been working with for like a few days in which the tread, I wasn't digging them. Like I just found them really slippery. And I'm thinking, is it the shoes, is it the rocks? Like, I don't know, but these were not... I mean, they're trail running shoes. They're not rock climbing shoes. Yeah. And soon I found myself on stuff that even if I had maybe a rope and some rock climbing shoes with my experience, I don't know that I'd be that super comfortable with. But I, I just, I had no choice. It's like I could, at one point I was sitting there and I'm like, well, I could sit here and try to wait the storm out that is coming. And it's like. For so, sure coming. For in sure Colorado, coming. Colorado, it's 100%. Yeah. And I was in monsoon season. Like it was, it was scheduled 100%. It was coming. So I was sitting there, I'm like, okay, I could sit here in this spot for the next six hours and hope a storm comes through, which is coming, but hopefully it passes. In the meantime, I'm super exposed. I'll get struck by lightning in the neck. Maybe it'll all clear up and I can see where to go. Yeah. Because I couldn't see anything, but I was like, or I'll just keep trying to slowly move down. Like I was like, that sounds like a bad idea to just be a sitting duck exposed. <laughs> but man, I kept trying to move down. It was so sketchy and like doing actual like kind of free climbing stuff. Um, probably like on grade like five five maybe five six kind of stuff Man. probably like five 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 four five five but it was wet and slippery and it was just like at any moment looking down it's like i could see myself falling 30 40 feet here and this is how i break a leg and ankle or something yeah. and i'm stuck out. i i see exactly how this happens and here i was trying to bail and get off the mountain safely <laughs> but i was screwed 
So after having about a panic attack, which is trying to be as calm as possible, being like, I need not to get in my head because I need to focus so I can get out of here. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> the clouds like part. And I see kind of where I'm on the mountain. Yeah. And I look back up and I see an opening. And I was like, oh, I know where I'm at. <laughs> I'm kind of half down this. I'm like, I can see myself getting out of here. Or now that I see a direct route back up to get on track onto the ridge, uh, I can still get to the other summit. So I was like, here's a chance, a moment of glory. Let's just go for it. So yeah. like an idiot, I start heading back up to the mountain. <laughs> I get up to the ridge, and just this huge crack of thunder just oh, rattles man. the whole place. Dude, you can't – if you're listening to this, you can't see me, but my eyes are like – I haven't blinked in like three minutes, and my heart is going crazy. So – it just huge thunder just rattles me and I instantly turn and look on the other side of the ridge and in the mountain behind like two mountains back it's just pitch black and I was like my exact words were you are a fucking idiot like why didn't you go off this <laughs> so I didn't I was like I have oh 15 God, minutes I gave myself like a time I was like I, you get Calvin like 15 20 minutes you got to get to the other summit don't even think and just move and once I was back on top of the ridge on the traverse part much easier like I didn't even have to think and I, uh, it turned out the part that I was down climbing uh, on the wrong side of the trail, the route, was the steepest part of the mountain. <laughs> so I was like, I bailed on the wrong side. Like, that's what got me in the real trouble. Oh, okay. So, because it, it had I gone the other way originally, when I left the other summit of Mount Wilson and took a left, I would have caught the trail and I would have stayed up on the ridge and been okay. But I tried to bail off the steepest part on the right side which is not good and i'm assuming you're the only person up there yeah so at this point i'm like i'm the only person i saw someone else earlier in the day on a different mountain but like i'm for sure like the only person up there yeah so i'm like all right now that i'm back on top of the ridge i'm like i got like 15 minutes i'm just gonna not even think i'm booking it because i felt a lot safe i felt safer at that point from the ground and the terrain i was on um so i knew i could just scramble and kind of almost like fast-paced walk across it all uh, not no longer like on a cliffside, yeah. but I have these thunderstorms behind me, which in a matter of 10, 15 minutes can just be right on top of you, yeah. right? So I'm just cruising and I come around a corner and I'm probably about a few minutes under the summit and I run into somebody. No way, really? <laughs> I ran into a dude. No way. Yeah. And my exact words go, I go, oh my God, there's someone as dumb as I am that's out here right now. And running into him was instantly so comforting because I had this thought in my mind saying, well, if I was to get discovered on the news because I get electrocuted and died, there'll be two of us. And they'll think, well, like, oh, Calvin wasn't just the only idiot out here. Two people got caught in it together. Like, they're probably trying to get off and didn't make it. So it was like, there's comfort in that there's two idiots out there. And he's like, oh, yeah, my dad's uh, right behind me. He's just come out the summit. So I'm like, oh, yes, there's three idiots now. <laughs> And it was this weird sense of like comfort, even yeah. though we weren't in a comfortable position, but just knowing like, oh my God, there's two other humans here. I've been so stressed. So I quickly like get up on the summit, just tag it. I'm coming off and I'm like, all right, two guys, like let's figure out a plan of attack. I'm much faster than these dudes. And at this point, it's kind of like, it's, you got to think about yourself, right? Because mm -hmm. you can't like pick somebody up and move them down the mountain. Um, and we kind of found a trail, a different trail off the mountain. Like I had some Karen's. We just started going for it, and I was like, guys, I think this is it. It's working, and it was. And then I just, like, moved fast and got off that thing. Yeah. I didn't hear anything. I think they also made it safely. Yeah. But once I got down it and then up and over uh, the other ridge, the – what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, like a pass-through. Um, well, the other side of the trail. Oh, I had like to, the saddle? Like a, a saddle, yeah. Um, a pass. That's what it's called. Yeah. Wow, pass. So 
the saddle pass to get up out of there. And I remember then finally my heart just settling and being like, I, at that point I knew I was kind of in the clear. I felt a lot better. And then I was about 20 minutes down on the other side of the saddle. And it was just like crazy storming behind me up where I all just was. And I was just like, I can't believe I just got out of that. And it was yeah. like, I was literally kind of like shaking of just thinking of the tiniest slip, which would have happened to any second when I was on that super steep stuff. And I was trying to bail up the mountain, like trying to do the smart yeah. thing, but I was just lost. I was in cloud coverage and I was like, and all by myself, you know, it's like, I really saw myself. That's how I turned up on the news for sure. Yeah. Uh, that was by far the most intense thing. Dude, I'm sure for, I'm sure your mom, my mom, me and everybody else that was following your journey are so thankful that you made it through safe. Like it's, I mean, you didn't even hurt yourself whatsoever. Like not even a twisted ankle. Yeah. Which is pretty amazing if you think about it. I mean, a hundred days, like you could have just, I mean, if you've been on these mountains, <laughs> the fact like you have to step on loose boulders, yeah. the fact that you didn't even just like slightly injure yourself is a, pretty much a miracle. Yeah. I would say, and there was a few times, like some little steps, I would just like step my whole ankle. Yeah. It's like almost what I feel like 90 degrees. I'd be like, that's how I break my ankle or sprain it. And I got to like crawl out of here. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think I attribute thankfully to my body responding well of before leaving, like having decent, being in decent shape, but being, having decent mm -hmm. mobility kind of in my joints and stuff. So my body could take some of those conditions that they were put into um, that I'm super glad that like my ankle and I'd roll it like I would, but it would just kind of bounce back and it wouldn't be super sprained just yeah. because like the mobility I've been kind of like building into them. But I am quite grateful that no serious injuries didn't happen because anything could easily happen at any point. Well, and I always have this feeling it doesn't matter if the mountain's super hard or scary or just a regular 14er, but you get above treeline and you start hiking and it takes usually two to three hours at like the minimum <laughs> above treeline and you get this weird kind of, it's a kind of a freeing feeling where you feel completely free, but it's also a little bit terrifying because you are responsible for getting yourself down. Because yeah. if something happens to you up there, it's gonna be very difficult to get anyone else to help you down the mountain. Or if you get caught in a storm or anything like that, like the clouds moving in, it's, it's a difficult process. And it's kind of scary, even when you're on like a nice bluebird, beautiful day with not a cloud in the sky, you still get that feeling of like, dude, I'm up in it. Like I'm away from society right now. If something happens, I have to be able to be the one that gets me down. Yeah. There's a, and I found myself in a few scenarios out there. And like, that's like, it kind of went back to that 30 hour story in the last podcast <laughs> where I got caught out like 30 plus hours, like having to go through the night, keep moving. I couldn't sleep because I was freezing cold. Um, another moment, like earlier in my journey, I was doing this traverse between Harvard and Columbia and I was so exhausted, but I just, a few humbling moments uh, where it just came to me. I realized like nobody is coming to save me. Like I'm out there all by myself. It's up to me to get back. Like I have to find the power, the willpower, the strength, courage inside me somewhere to keep moving because no one's going to come here and bail me out. Yeah. And that's a very humbling experience once you get to that point in life. And I think that's great attitude, like to really experience that and carry it through life with taking real ownership and responsibility in your life. Um, but yeah, if something, an accident does happen up on those mountains and summits or really far away from civilization, you know, there is search and rescue team that can mm -hmm. make it to you and things. <clears throat> 
But those things are going to be on a huge delay, so you could easily find yourself uh, being out there, you know, for a day or two days before somebody can hike in and get to you and find you, so to speak. So even if you are out there and you get caught and say you really mess up a leg and you can't even walk out, like, do you have the clothes? Most likely not to stay perfectly comfortably warm all night or the food rations or the water to lay there exposed above tree line where you can't kind of go for coverage anywhere. So... Yeah, it's that sense of you have to kind of have a little bit of understanding of what you're yourself into for, you know, just planning logistics purposes. Um, but, like, don't let that hold you back either, knowing that it's not 100% guarantee that something can go wrong. It's if something may go wrong, you just got to justify what you're willing to put yourself into condition-wise and scenario and how you're going to face it and how you're going to proceed yeah. with that. Well, and you are just anybody out there. You're so much more powerful and willing to or, or able to endure than you would think, you know, like you're going to be able to survive situations that maybe you think you wouldn't be able to survive. That being said, if you're out there listening and you're kind of like, they're being over dramatic, people die on these things every year and like multiple times throughout the year. Like we heard of, uh, uh, when we did the maroon bells, we heard about the guy that went missing like a week before us. And yeah, I think even on my journey alone, I have to look at it, but at least probably a half a dozen people died this summer on the 14ers I was involved in. Yeah, even as we were doing the Maroon Bells during that week, like uh, a gentleman by the name of Dave went missing, uh, and they still have yet to find him to give his family at all uh, closure. And he was an experienced mountaineering guy, uh-huh. um, a former like Marine, I think. So an outdoors kind of guy, but stuff can happen. It doesn't matter if you're in the greatest shape ever or have the best skills. Like some of the best mountaineers, like they end up accidents just happen. Just accidents, man. Like you. You mentioned uh, we did South Maroon together, which I've spoke about on this before. Because um, first of all, I was terrified, but like, thank you, man, for making me do that. Because yeah. it, it honestly just it opened up my mind to what the possibilities are. Because it was scary, I'd say, but it, once you broke it down into like just the steps you had to take in front of you, it wasn't as intimidating as you'd think. And. Uh, Anyways, I know you mentioned when you did North Maroon, which is, if you don't know the Maroon Bells, look them up. They're the, like, two most famous. So it's the most photographed mountains in the <laughs> yeah. world. Remember when we were walking at, like, 5 in the morning, right? <laughs> so there's this lake, and then there's the Maroon Bells in the background. And it's, like, the most fo- famous photograph of mountains ever. And at 5 in the morning, we're walking, we have our headlamps on, <laughs> and we're walking by that lake, and, like, we kind of glanced over, and it looked like... <laughs> The Walking Dead. Like, there was 50 people. Like, I'm walking not exaggerating. Walking photographers, yeah. Yeah. 50 people. More than that, probably, yeah. At 5 true. in the morning. And that's every single day. It like. was insane, man. I was like, I cannot believe this. All of them have their tripods and their cameras set up. But all that being said, there's two of these mountains, right? And so you did North Rune, and I remember, I don't know if you want to share this story, but you said you were climbing it. And you had some headphones in, which probably wasn't super smart. Yeah, so it, halfway my first half of the journey, I didn't listen to any music podcast. I didn't ever had earbuds in. And somehow later on the journey, I don't know if it was because I was getting more monotonous or it'd get me through the tougher parts. I'd love putting podcasts just to like, you know, cruise through the, I don't know, the... The approach. The approach. That's a good yeah. way to put it, yeah. Cruise through the approach. And so um, I wanted to make... This day, I had two huge mountains to notoriously deadly mountains i had north maroon and uh thunder pyramid thunder pyramid thunder pyramid to work on the coolest name yeah so cool (laughs) so um 
I wanted to cruise up North Maroon. I had my, so usually I'll wear my earbuds like at this point up on the approach, but once it gets more technical, uh, I'll take them out just so you can hear and be more aware and in tune with your surroundings and your environment. And I remember in, in back of my mind, like at this point, it's now kind of like the end of season as far as big end of summer season. Like they've kind of quit bus access up to the Maroon Bells yeah. for all the photographers to take photos and stuff. You were, like, you were scared that you were going to get snowed out of the Maroon Bells. Scared, yeah, it actually, it did snow. Thankfully, it wasn't a ton, but I had to deal with snow. And like I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to get it done because I it was... Weather got me like four times in the Aspen area where I couldn't do these mountains. I had to keep changing logistics. But now I'm at the end of like my project and it's like, I've got to get these things done. Yeah, yeah. So I'm heading back up uh, North Maroon on the approach and all of a sudden getting the more technical kind of gully, which is kind of the Kular. Um, super loose rocks up Super there. loose rocks. And I'm in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about this Dave individual who's also still just missing. And you wonder like, what ha- like the simplest thing could happen. Like you hear about a rock gets knocks loose and... Out of every place in the world that a rock could go falling down that mountain, it somehow connects with somebody. Like, what's the chance? So there I am. I'm standing there, uh, maybe messing with my gear, taking a small break. And all of a sudden, I see this rock, like the size of my head, probably solid, which would do... And I'm wearing a helmet, but it's like that size rock could really... Even with a helmet, it's going to mess you up. at the yeah. velocity it's going. And I got my earbuds in. I just kind of glanced back, like... I'm going to say probably 20 feet, maybe 30 feet, between 15 and 30 feet. And I just watch this thing whiz by me. And usually rock falls a bigger issue when there's other hikers out because people above you kick loose rocks down, they fall. But I'm the only person out there that day for sure at this point in the season. Yeah. Like the parking lot's empty. I'm like the only guy out there. Uh, and I just watch this thing go whizzing by me. And I just think to myself, holy shit, like that could – if I was for whatever reason 30 feet back – like if I had changed my approach by whatever percentage of a step, yeah, that could have been me, and that that would have done me in. Like, and I didn't hear that rock coming at all because I kind of had some earbuds. I had earbuds in, and it was just like a whoa, great, like just like being aware. And it's like instant, like again, I reminded her to take this bit more serious at this point because even at that point I'd climbed ninety plus mountains, Dude, right? So it's like yeah, so you're feeling experienced. You're like, oh, I can cruise through this stuff. But it's like that's when you – that final 20% yeah. you start to let your guard down and things happen. It's like there's a holy moment. I'm thinking like that's what maybe could have happened to Dave or who knows. And these stories, they're out there as far as like a rock fall and it connects somebody uh-huh. in the head. And um, I could have been laying there for how long. But thankfully I didn't. But it was just like a whoa, like big eye opener of like holy crap. That could have been – that could have been meant for me. And maybe I was just 30 feet ahead of schedule today. Well, and you know <laughs> – yeah. You, you, at that point, like you said, you were so experienced that it was kind of like, you know, when you go to work and you start zoning out, that was your work for that day where you're just like, oh, this is, I've done this. I've done this. Yeah. It's your ego getting in your way. You're letting your guard down. That's Um, crazy, man. Yeah. Dude. (laughs) (laughs) So thankfully didn't the day end up being a good success. Yeah. 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 Um, can you, I don't think we shared this last time, but you spent the whole summer living in your Prius. Will you explain why I go get another beer? Celebration! Yeah. Celebration. So, uh, I knew going into this project that um, quality of sleep was going to be important for the potential success of this project, just for recovery. And so, I'd been kind of researching mobile living for some reason. I knew like hotels weren't an option based on my budget and price point. Um, it was going to be in location, like, there's no way I'm going to be able to get a hotel every night. Um, and that's not what this project is about. 
So all of a sudden I like discovered like van living, discovered how people take like huge 15 passenger seat vans and convert them into like little tiny home apartments on wheels or industrial vans. And I was like, this is amazing. And but at the time I discovered this stuff, I'm like, I don't really have the time to put something like this together because that takes multiple months. It to was get. like three weeks before your. <laughs> it was like going. three weeks. I'm thinking. And I remember calling my dad, sending him some plans. I'm like, Dad, if I buy this van, which I'd been looking at around the corner, uh, I'm like, can we get this put together like a minimal kind of stage? He's just like, There's no way, you know, because <laughs> I'm always super over ambitious. Oh, you were wanting him to like build it. I was gonna go. It? I was like, Dad, let me come home for a weekend. We'll just like we'll build a bed frame, a few of these things. Yeah. We'll do it. Um, and it could have been possible, like, would have been janky and whatever. Yeah. And so in that process, I start sharing these things about like mobile living or whatever. And someone was like, Hey man, uh, you should check out Prius camping. And I've always been, I've been a fan, I've been a fan of Prius, like cars. And I thought it'd be a cool next vehicle to have. I was due to get a new vehicle. I had last one for 11 years. <laughs> um, so I I was debating, you know, do I do I lease a vehicle? Do I rent one? Like how? And like I I run the numbers and it'd be a waste of money to like rent or lease a vehicle. So I was like, I just need to buy something, use it for this trip, and use it for the next decade. And so a friend of mine recommended Prius camping. I go down this roadway on the internet. I'm like, oh my god! Like people are have set up like mobile homes in their Prius, like living and camping out of it. And then I discovered this blog called Hotel Prius. In which this guy was living down in Austin, Texas for about two years, living out of his Prius like as a writer, trying to pay off student loans and stuff. And he had a whole blog put together of like how to do it, how to put organize the car. And I was just like, uh, I went and checked out a Prius. I was like, can I really do this? Like, yeah, I could. And I, I just pulled the trigger and like people thought it was nuts. I kind of thought I was nuts. Um, but honestly... Chris, you got to experience the Prius. Uh, yeah, that's what I wanted to bring up. <laughs> we spent a couple nights in the Prius together. So two grown men, <laughs> like six foot tall on the back. Jacked out of our minds. Just, yeah, we're just, just huge, huge, like bodybuilders. Like, so much muscle. Like, imagine The Rock, <laughs> but plus Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you put us two bodybuilders out of this universe in the back of my car, and we sleep comfortably. We right? didn't even touch shoulders. Didn't even touch shoulders. <laughs> it's mind-blowing how spacious, it's quite deceiving how spacious a Prius actually is with the hatchback and stuff. And the idea that I could drive, you know, get 40, 50 miles per gallon, I was going to be putting a lot of miles, and therefore yeah. cost. Um, but it was great. Like, I didn't want to be camping every night. I could have got a tent, but when I go back to the quality of sleep for recovery on the project, I didn't want to have to deal with the elements every night, like trying to find a camp spot, pitching a tent, like sleeping on the ground. So I set something yeah. in my car where it's like I had like kind of a double foamed up memory foam mattress. And to be honest, it was, it's still to this day more comfortable than any couch I've ever slept on. Yeah. Like it was by week two, week three for sure, I just kind of smiled and I was like, I'm actually really comfortable just living out of my car. And it through the whole project doing that for four months, I realized in my car, I'd need to throw away half the stuff that I brought with me. Like, I brought too much stuff yeah. on this trip, like, just in a car. <clears throat> and made you realize, like, the necessities in life that what you really only need. Yeah. You know, and, like, all the excess crap that we have and carry around baggage. But when you think about what we only really need to get by, it's, like, not that much. And, you know, it's my philosophical kind of beliefs of, you know, what do you have in your life that's either it's, limit, it's limiting you or it's empowering you as far as the type of lifestyle you want to live. So... If, you have a bunch of expenses or a bunch of stuff like that stuff is limiting you from maybe taking these types of adventures yeah you could like actually sit up in the back of your prius and your head wouldn't hit the top 
Yeah, it's crazy, it, man. It, yeah, it was like it's it's the back seats fold down perfectly. This should be a commercial for Prius. It should be should like this him. should be the Prius podcast. <laughs> um, I'm a huge advocate. It's funny, like everyone around him, like I joke, I'm like everyone should own a Prius. Uh, my roommate kind of laughed at me. Uh, and he smiled. He goes, he goes, dude, I'm glad you can drive the Prius. He goes, I just can't do it. I'm a truck guy. And I was like, that's an ego thing, right? And he goes, totally, it is. Like it's a macho thing. He's like, but good for you. And I look at it, it's like a vehicle, a car, whatever it is, is just a tool to go from A to B, right? And yeah. A Prius, while some people look at him like, oh, maybe it looks dorky or environmental or not manly enough. I'm like, guess what? This thing is, it's, yes, it's environmental, but to me, it's a great financial move that makes me go from A to B and therefore empowers me to be able to take more trips because it allows me to save more money and yada, yada. Yeah. Uh, one thing I was, since we're kind of going on this rabbit hole, I was thinking about getting a Jeep Renegade, which my eagle wanted this thing so much and I thought it'd be cool, but I knew. First off, buying a brand new vehicle is a terrible financial decision. Like, always buy used. So anyways, but my ego was caught on this thing for a couple weeks. And it's like, I knew the Prius was a better decision in line with my values. But, like, I was going to buy a Renegade. Yeah. And then I was like, you know what? Because I was thinking about sticker prices. Like, well, sure, the Renegade's going to cost me, you know, $8,000 more or something. Like, what's the big deal for five years? Like, I want this. It's going to be better. But then I was like, the dorky me, the logical guy pulls up a spreadsheet and I was like, what's the estimated total cost over the life of the vehicle if I own either one? And so most people just factor in the sticker price, like when you drive it off the lot. So I, I put that down, I put in the average, you know, driving uh, 15,000 miles a year, plus insurance costs based on the two vehicles, um, plus some maintenance tax and tags and stuff. And in the 10 years, because my last car I had for 11 years, so just 10 years alone, the difference estimated at around 15 miles, uh, 15,000 miles a year and a few other things with gas and all that stuff was going to be a $27,000 difference. <laughs> In a seven-year time span, it's going to be a $17,000 uh, difference. Again, because people think about sticker price, but here, the Jeep Renegade was going to get me 20 to 22 yeah. miles per gallon. The Prius is going to get me double that. It's going to allow me to take more road trips. But just from a financial standpoint... It's like, whoa, that's a huge thing. Yeah. And it's it kind of goes back to this, what I like to talk about, the compound effect and the mountain project of the little things that add up every day to the big picture and how like just those little costs will add up to be quite extravagant. So once I threw that down into like a spreadsheet, it was an instant no-brainer and I felt at peace making that decision with the Prius. Yeah. You ever uh, read The Slight Edge? No, I have not. Okay, well, that's all about the compound effect. And it's basically, I mean, I could do like a whole podcast. I'm planning on doing a whole podcast about it in the future. But it's basically like the the things that matter the most in your life are the little decisions you make day to day. Because if you're making positive little decisions every day, like eat healthy, wake up a little bit earlier, exercise, like that stuff adds up. And over time, like it doesn't seem like a big change over the first whatever few months. weeks months yeah. years it doesn't seem like a big change but over time like it compounds and it becomes a giant change in either direction like if you're doing the poor habits you know uh spending money frivolous like if you're if you buy a starbucks every day right just imagine you're like oh man that's three bucks but big deal if you do it every single day like that's gonna add up times to, 365 you're yeah. like 900 dollars. Yeah. yeah so that was my serious comment about the car thing <laughs> My stupid comment about the car thing is if I was to play devil's advocate, the Jeep Renegade or the Prius 
which one are you going to see in a commercial driving through mountains with Bob Seger's Lock a Rock? And so that was. <laughs> I laughed because right before the trip, I went and uh, a guy I'd been playing Ultimate Frisbee with, he'd actually bought a Jeep Renegade and he bought the Trailhawk version or leased it, which is like the top of the line. All the fancy stuff. They're like, this thing can drive over rocks and stuff. Like, that's. <laughs> and he's. I, I was driving around him, test driving. He's like, yeah, you know, like he can do all these cool things. And I was just thinking, you know, someday I can have the option if I want to go do these things, right? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, realistically though, what's the percent chance you're gonna do that? And maybe it's a one percent chance in the next five years you actually go on this big crazy trip. Yeah. And so if that's one week out of your life, but yet you're gonna pay for this vehicle for five years or whatever, why not just rent for that one week to get away with what you need? Um, well, and then like in this project, I know there's crazy roads to get to some specific trailhead so like if you have a four-wheel drive vehicle you can get a couple miles up the mountain that you wouldn't be able to get otherwise yeah and so that was actually that was one of the deciding factors like i was thinking about this pro and as i was researching on the project i would look at every mountain and potential trailer approach and put down mileage and there's some really good research out there as far as four-wheel drive access and two-wheel drive access so four-wheel drive saying you can drive farther up the mountain um, therefore, it's going to make the overall hike incline shorter, right? Shorter mileage, shorter elevation gain. And two-wheel drive vehicle, you're just going to have to start much lower. Yeah. And so, honestly, from a quick math, I quick ran the numbers. And to be honest with you, it was like 50 miles more I was going to have to walk in this project <laughs> over the course of 75 days. Wow. And out the gate, I was like, is that worth... And then I so I took like fifty. I forget the math on this. I mean, but, is it worth twenty seven thousand dollars? But correct. And I wasn't even using twenty seven thousand dollars at the time. That but, the, but that's what it would have been. And I was just looking at the sticker price of the difference. I think of like the eight thousand dollars. And so I took, and I don't know if it was eight thousand or seven thousand or what the quick math is. I can't remember at this point. But it went something like this. I do remember the final outcome was I took those fifty miles divided by that difference, and it ended up being like two hundred dollars, a little over per mile. So I asked myself, was I willing to spend $200 more per mile, something that would take me say a half hour or maybe an hour of my energy to walk and do? And I was like, I don't make $200 an hour. Like that's just a stupid decision. You know what, I'll just suck it up and I'll just do the extra 50 miles. Like yeah. it, when I was looking at the project, it scared me because I'd look at days that I was researching, I was like, oh my God, this one has 12 miles today and 14 the next. Like I thought that was impossible. You know, by the time I was halfway through this thing, I was like, that's just another cakewalk yeah. day in the life. Yeah. So, like, I, I, I ran the math on that a lot. And honestly, came down to a little bit over $200 a per mile. I was just like, that's not worth it. I'm going to walk these. Dude, I, first of all, that's super analytical, which financially I feel like you are. But climbing the mountains, I remember we ran into a group of guys while we were doing South Maroon. And they were going up. Uh, pyramid, pyramid peak and they were like super analytical like oh it's supposed to, there's like a 40% chance of snow like at this time and I don't know they were just almost so overly analytical you could tell right away that they, they almost paralysis by analysis I mean you could tell they weren't going to make it to the top yeah basically because they were just so <laughs> driven by like all this potential information and then do you remember it snowed like 10 minutes, <laughs> like spit, yeah. barely any snow. And we saw people even turn around because they thought it was going to be a big storm. And it was like, you know, it's good to have information. So again, like when it comes to certain decisions, I can be, I like to get nerdy and analytical and get very logical. 
but I'm also very fly by the seat of my pants and just go with it. Of yeah, I'm just like, I'm kind of like fuck it. Let's just start walking. So we yeah, let's stop talking about it and start walking. So we start making progress, right? Yeah, yeah. Like regardless if it's a ten thousand mile journey, that's not going to change anymore if we sit here and talk about ten thousand miles and <laughs> we start walking. Like the distance is going to be the same. So let's just get started. Yeah. So when it comes like finances and stuff, I like to be more analytical. Uh, on a plan approach because I know that stuff's calculated to empower me in certain other areas. Now every day, like, yeah, I had hiking partners who would, they were analytical about the weather, like percent chance. And to be honest with you, uh, that information was okay with me, but same time I was like, I'm just gonna deal with whatever comes today because yeah. I was on a schedule. And I would say, you know what? I'm just gonna get up early every day and I'm gonna try my best to get up and down before noon, like based on how long, how many miles and elevation gate I think it'll take me this long. Because regardless, like, I knew I was trying to get the mountain done that day no matter what. So I wasn't going to decide. My day was not decided on, oh, it's a 50% chance rain, then, you know, I better not do this because 50% chance it's not going to rain. Like, that wasn't an option for me. Yeah. My option was I'm going to start and proceed no matter what until I run into that rain, and then I'll turn around. Yeah. And you had moments where you turned around. Um, you did on Thunder Pyramid. Yep. Because you didn't exactly know. That was a weird one. Yeah, it was like, uh, you know, Thunder Pyramid is notorious, kind of like uh, not very climbed. Uh, it's a centennial, one of the highest hundred in Colorado. But, but rare. It's, got, it's rare. It's got some famous deaths on it from some guy who like had climbed 700 miles, like a famous guy, and he died on it. Dude, and you look at this mountain, <laughs> and you're like, how in the hell is anyone supposed to climb this mountain? There's no way. Yeah, it's like I had one of... Like, I thought, based on my current speed and stuff, at one night I was trying to do my second mountain of the day, super ambitious. Uh, I thought I could go up and get to the top before sunset. As long as I can get up before sunset, which is only you're halfway done. But that gives me a sense, like, I know what I've been through, and I'll feel a lot more calmer coming down. Like, I don't want to keep ascending in the dark. Like, new, a new area in the a dark. A new area in the dark. Um, if it's in the morning and the sun hasn't come up, that's different because I know at some point I could wait it out and the sun will reveal. Yeah. But at night, it's you're going to have another 10, 12 hours until the sun comes back up. So like, I don't want to be ascending that new area. So like one day, like there's not a lot of information, not a lot of beta. I couldn't figure it out. But I was pushing hard. I get, got way up to the approach where I was going to ascend. But I still couldn't quite figure it out. And I was looking at my math and I was just like, even right now if I busted my ass, like made my good time, I would make it but I still don't have clarity on the exact kind of approach. Not that I did on all the mountains, but in general, was, this one was very vague yeah. and, you know, it had some history around it. So I was like, I had to back off. And then I came back later on, like on a second or third attempt and did it. And yeah. Yeah. So I had some, you know, where those are tough, especially in mountaineering and hiking, you know, a project of this magnitude where, you know, I have a deadline of what I'm trying to hit. Um, my ultimate goal was to get on the summits. And if it didn't happen in the time period I wanted, like, I was still gonna finish it, right? I wasn't gonna let the time period kill me, yeah. but because you want you want to make smart decisions when you're out there. But I had a few of those where I had to turn around. And it really like those are hard to swallow your pride, but it's in your best safety and interest. It's it's a little easier when you get back to the parking lot and your buddy's there, <laughs> and then we just drive into town and get a beer. Oh, that was yeah, so well worth it. And then got lost because we couldn't find our car. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, man, I want to actually uh, speaking of that, that was about the end of the project. And I remember you ended up texting my wife, like, please let Chris join me for the Maroon Bells. Like, I need someone out here with me. And I got out there and you, you mentioned this idea of the last 10% of anything you do takes 90% of the effort. 
Yeah. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, maybe that goes back to like that kind of 80%, 80-20 rule, where uh, Pareto's principle, it's called. Um, but the idea behind 80-20 is usually 20% of the input uh, is responsible for 80% of the output. It's that final 20% of the uh, output requires 80% of the input. So from a time perspective, say an investment, a project, if it takes you one hour to get uh, eight hours, or excuse me, two hours to get eight hours results, that's great. But then to get those final two hours on the 10, if that's what we're shooting for, it's gonna take eight more hours to perfect that. Uh, really fascinating thing to research and apply into your life. And so this whole idea that 90-10 falls in that 80-20, and I was, I was down and out. Uh, the real challenge of going for 100, like after 75 was coming back to Colorado, and having to re-go back to every single mountain range I'd been to, go back up some areas I'd been, like- You're ping-ponging around the ping state. Ping-ponging around the state. I had to go back to the Wilson Group, which I had told myself I was never going back because of my near-death experience for frightening, but I had to go back there because there's a mountain right next to it. Uh, <laughs> so I had to face that again. But um, I was sitting in a hotel room and like I was just so beat down on those last like 20% of the mountains. I knew that was gonna be the real challenge of this project. And I was just not feeling it go up to this mountain near San Luis Peak. And at this point, I'm just running into weather issues. Like, it's the end of the season. I'm just like, the deadline's looming over me. And I'm just like... It's like you haven't seen friends for... I haven't seen friends forever. It's just like, I could have been done with this thing, but I decided to extend it. Uh, I'm kind of over at this point. You know, yeah. definitely mentally, in, or I'm in my head. And so I'm sitting in this hotel room. For some, some reason, uh, one of my friends who joined me on one of the mountains... Uh, shoots me a message out of the blue and it's like I was supposed to receive it at this time and he was just like hey man thinking about you I was really wish we could meet up again um, you know I know in the very end it gets really hard and it's that final 10% it takes that 90% again like the way he phrased it it's like as if he felt somewhere in the universe how I was feeling like I was just <laughs> in the dumps in this hotel like I had no aspirations to go out and like finish these things and he's hit me I was like god you're so right like it's so hard right now and that just gave me the boost I needed to keep continuing. Um, it is, it's like, that's like, you put in all this effort and I look back at that point, it's like I'm 95, I'm like 90 days in or whatever it is. Uh, I'm just thinking, man, I've come so far, there's only a little bit left, but I know it's just gonna take a lot just to finish it. Even though knowing where I came from, I know I can finish it, but it's just like, you're at your bottom, you're kind of out of energy and it's just like, Realizing, okay, this is the real friction. This is the real challenge. This is the real test. Yeah. How are you going to show up and respond to this? And it's kind of like, get back out there and like keep walking, even though if it's going to be much harder now, like when the enthusiasm and the excitement's all gone from that first yeah. week. Like I'm 90 days into this now. I've just been freaking climbing mountains every day, just getting my ass kicked. You know. What um, one more thing I wanted, or one more mountain experience uh, that I want to hear about is the. Uh, Palisades in California. Um, yeah. As far as those are, I mean, those are more technical, right? Like, yeah. so you had to learn some, some tech, and that was towards the end, correct? Yeah. So I actually had to like, um, I visited the Palisades twice because I went out there to to do all the California mountains at once, and I lined up a hiking partner. I thought we we're gonna do the whole traverse, which is a pretty famous traverse to get like five fourteeners. Um, is there four of them? There's four. Oh, there's a fifth one. Pole. Okay, pole, yeah. And there's this extra mountain bear peak I wanted to get up in there that went on my 100 list. And the whole thing just went sour from the beginning. Like, our first go around, we only got two of them. My partner got altitude sickness. 
We had to hike in super far. It's just a bad experience. Uh, I mean, these things just happen, and I was just really deflated because in my head I thought we were really going to get like all 60s in a day, and it was just going to be a huge boost for something <laughs> that was really hard to do. I mean, I completely underestimated it. Like, I had no idea. But again, my ego is getting the best. Like, you know, at this point I got a lot of experience. I'm thinking, oh, we'll just cruise right through this, yeah. but not the case. Um, and my partner at the time didn't have as much experience or he wasn't as conditioned either. He's like, oh, yeah. No, I mean, who would be <laughs> who would as be? conditioned? I'm doing this point. every single day yeah. for, at that point, 60 or 70 days. Um, so I ended up coming back. So I decided to hit the eject button. It was a smart move uh, to go back to Colorado, continue making progress. Which made logistics hard, and I knew I'd have to come back to California, like drive all the way back to California again. <laughs> but it just felt the right thing to do, and it was the right decision at the time. It still is looking back; it's the right decision. Um, so I went back and I ended up kind of finishing there, which was kind of like uh, that was kind of nice to bring uh, a finish, like how it all came together, just being like kind of the hardest stuff, something that like we had to bail on, had to go back there and like trudge all the way back up in there. And get it done, and we did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the short. I'll keep it short, but I remember researching a couple of them. It was just like actual technical climbing. Yeah. So I'm not really experienced outdoors with technical ropes and gears. Uh, a lot of the stuff you can get. Most of these mountains I did, you can get by with uh, hiking and climbing or scrambling without needing gear. Like you'll face exposure and some scary stuff, but you can get by without actual the technical ropes gear. And the harnesses. But this stuff, like you need to have it um, for different sections on this traverse. Uh, you're doing some five six climbing and did you ever slip like did your hand slip and the rope caught you ever um nope thankfully like it was amazing there's some moves like we were gonna do and it's like do we want to rope up and like my partner at one point he was pretty comfortable like cruising through and i was just we're hauling our backpacks and stuff with all of our gear like so your weight balances off i just don't have a lot of experience i'm just like i can't do it so we rope up quickly and that would just give you so much more confidence because you're like again you have a safety if line you now fall, you're not going to die yeah you're not <laughs> going to die which is like the smart thing to do versus yeah. like you slip you could get really badly injured or yeah. death um so it's really actually cool in the field to be learning that stuff and it's you know for sure scary because it's real practical practical real world experience but um uh it's kind of fun like two of those summit blocks were uh they're technical like one was this five nine uh summit block move to get up onto which is kind of a hard climbing move. And I was looking at it, and I've never done any outdoor stuff, and I'm like, I don't even know how you do this. And I watched the one guy do it, and I was like, okay. But then I got on it and just did it, and I was super stoked. I was like, oh, my God, I just climbed, like, you know, it was only probably, like, 15 feet or something. Yeah. It was like, well, I just climbed this 5'9 boulder, which is pretty awesome to feel like it's I just did this awesome, thing. Man. So, Dude, here's what I love about I, that, like, you finishing on the hard, the the most technical ones yeah is i love the fact that all of your experiences kind of culminated in that all your experiences all the skills you learned culminated in you climbing that five nine route up that boulder yeah when i went out i mean i had my previous experience was i had like hiked a dozen 14ers in the past where i just walked straight up them um and again this is the whole like i could have chose not to do this when i was researching because when I was researching some of these mountains and stuff, like I would sit there and have sweaty palm syndrome <laughs> on, at my computer, dude, like freaked I out. Looking at my computer. Yeah, Chris and I would talk, and like we'd be freaked out. I'm like, he's like, dude, how you doing? I'm like, I don't know, but they'll be later in the trip, and hopefully we, it figures it out. And yeah. like, it was weird. I would meet people along my way that would be kind of like my aid and assistance later on, who would then show back up, like my climbing partner to help me f- go back and finish the 
Traverse was a part of my Rainier team. Another guy brought this dude in. We connected. He'd always wanted to do this, so we ended up teaming up. And it was like things could have worked out more better. Like yeah. I just don't know if they could have of just meeting people while I was out there who were willing to help out. And I think it just came from blindly pursuing with progress a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but it is like I learned. I had to learn a ton of skills from just reading basic map finding skills and planning <laughs> logistics on the fly. Like I just yeah. threw myself in there and went with it. Cause it's like, if I would have tried to realize if I would have wrote down all the list of things that I knew how to do and the things I didn't know how to do to be able to complete this project, uh, the things I didn't know how to do would far outweigh the things I did Yeah, big time. And you would looked at it and said, uh, don't do this project because <laughs> you're not qualified. And that was, I was not a qualified candidate at all. But through this whole process, like I became qualified for yeah. it. Yeah, I mean that's with anything. It's with you, anything. You start. You just gotta start something. Yeah. You gotta start whatever, and you'll struggle through it. You'll feel like an idiot for a while, and you'll figure it out. You do, and it's you come out like on the back end a different person. Yeah. Uh, I guess as we kind of wind this down, like my, I think my favorite thing of I got done with the uh pal i was officially done climbing and chris we connected on a phone call again we'd talk to each other often and i think you just asked you like all right so are you are you done done <laughs> i didn't know because uh, i remember chris like he'd asked me at one point like i got to the 100th mountain i'd cl- yeah. i'd been on 100 summits but my list had like 108 on it was it very confusing it's, like it if we tried to explain it, it here it would take hours yeah but ultimately my goal is to get to 100 summits or whatever but chris earlier i was just like do you after I did like North Maroon stuff, he's like, dude, you've done like a hundred. You, you can stop. And like something. my family and other friends like were involved. There was like, dude, you've done a hundred. Like you can stop. But I knew I then had this bigger thing I was actually the going centennials, for. Centennials, right? The, like the contiguous USA centennials yeah. of 100. And because some of the mountains on my original list weren't counting on these, yada, yada. We won't, crazy. it's confusing. We won't <laughs> go into it. Um, but ultimately, I mean, I got on a hundred, uh, 107 summits in a hundred day actually. Um, total was 111, 105 days or something. But I get done. I get out of the mountains of California up at the Palisades. And we're just talking. And Chris is like, so are you are you done? They're like, is it done? And I was just sitting there. I'm like, it's done. <laughs> and then he proceeds. He goes, I got to be honest with you. He goes, when you set out to do this, he goes, I'm like your biggest cheerleader. He goes, but I really didn't. <laughs> I didn't know if I had a lot of... I wasn't discouraged or like shooting you down. He was like, I didn't know if you... I really had faith that you would actually accomplish this. Yeah. And I was like, Chris... I didn't want to be like a hater. Didn't want to be a hater. Like, obviously, I'm like, dude, I will cheer you along the whole entire way. <laughs> and I'll help you out in whatever way I possibly can. But like, this is lofty, man. <laughs> this is a lofty goal. It was... That <laughs> people... Like, I'm sure people have tried in the past and have failed. Yeah. And like, I know your mentality and I know that you're strong-willed. But you still are like, man, I don't know. I and I didn't know, and I just proceeded, and like, and that was my response, Chris. I was like, dude, when I started, I didn't know either, <laughs> but I was gonna give it a shot. Like, I knew yeah. to take it day by day. Yeah. And it did. Like, I came out of this whole process, a more refined person with more skill sets. Um, and I, you know, I had a track record in my life, and I still do of not finishing things or giving up. And I tell people like, one of the main reasons I went out and did this was it was a character test, a sense of true character for myself, like. When the going gets tough, like ultimately, who's going to come save you? It's up to me, responsibility. This is yeah. my vision. This is my quest. And uh, it was really important to me, and I did it, and I finished it. And still, I now, being done, even like being back for a couple months, being done with this, 
it honestly doesn't feel like it happened. It's really surreal of I had that experience and because, you know, life kind of goes on or it's kind of like, what now? Or how do I take this experience and roll it to the next one? It's just kind of like that it happened, you know? <laughs> and like, I don't, and I don't want to like downplay of what it was or what it is, but it's kind of like, it's like, yeah, I, I did that. So, you know, it's, I don't want to like rest my laurels. It's kind of like, but now I'm kind of like, but it's what I'm, what about now? What am I focused on? Or what yeah. do I want to of course. keep going? Cause I don't want to be like, I don't want that to be the story. <clears throat> That's natural. Know? And a lot of people who accomplish amazing things, it doesn't seem, cause what you accomplished was for sure an amazing thing. No doubt about it. But for the people who actually do it, it doesn't seem amazing. Yeah. Because that's their everyday regular life. Like, this actually happened in my life. Like, <laughs> I guess... I mean, you have to take a step back and yeah. see how other people... Would look it. at it. Yeah. And I didn't get you a parade. Uh, <laughs> but I got you a present, man. And, like, I thought... The celebration like, is happening. Yeah, the serious <laughs> celebration. I, like... I was like, man... You know, he needs something to commemorate it. Something. And I was thinking, like, what about, like, a golden ice axe? Like, that'd be Ooh, badass, that'd right? That'd be great. But I, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, this is a present from multiple people, not just me. Um, we kind of all collaborated and came up with this idea of this thing to get you. And you'll see it in a second. But it's from, uh, it's from a lot of the Like a Bigfoot. I keep wanting to say Like a Bigfoot <laughs> tribe. Is that Ooh. cheesy? I mean, try, what flows? So again, audience, we're gonna ask for your yeah, question we'll here. You. Yeah, what's like? Yeah, the like the, the our tribe, family, the community. Yeah, like a bigfoot like a tribe, right? Like a bigfoot, a tribe of bigfoots. How about this? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, maybe there's something with animal. I don't know what you call that, but like uh, uh, a school of fish, right? Yeah, yeah. So, oh, dude, what are all different types of terms of that? And then the bigfoot, the bottomless snowman, or what's yeah, the or yeti? Yeti. There we go. What would be a group of yetis yeah. be called? So like I want I want anyone who's listening to this you're part of the like a bigfoot tr- whatever I'll say tribe right now yeah um, I didn't want to say tribe because Seth Godin has a book called Tribes yeah but like I don't want to just like obviously I'm trying to rip off his idea but I don't want to like blatantly do it I mean tribes are big community and tribe is yeah. what you associate with you okay know? so the like a bigfoot fill in the blank group here <laughs> uh, people have been on the podcast before Travis Stefan. Um, episode one, Brady Manriquez, um, Brandon Sweat, who had a great one. I don't know if you listened to it, but dude, if you haven't, you need to. Uh, and my beautiful, lovely wife, Lindsay, came up with this idea. So here you go. Um, it's wrapped in wrapped paper that says effing awesome. <laughs> oh, that sounds awesome. I was like, oh, sweet. That is awesome wrapping paper. <laughs> Which we right. uh, just stole from a gift Travis gave me. But Cool. Yeah. All right, here. This is the reveal. Yeah. So... This is I, I wanted something to commemorate it, man. Cause like you need something hanging on your wall, and no one makes like soccer trophies of you know you climbed a hundred mountains. <laughs> and it goes back to like uh, a little bit. I say that power of focus, and I'm trying to again get folks in my life of realizing what I've done and what I'm capable, and need to have that reminder, being like, dude, remind myself of saying, hey, you did this. You show it's possible. Let's just kind of focus in, have some discipline and consistency, and we can yeah. keep doing. And accomplishing great things. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I always say this about mountains. Here's what I love about mountains is once you climb one and you're in that area again, you see it, you know that it's a, it's a visual representation of an accomplishment. Yeah. Right? But you're in Iowa, so you can't see these mountains. 
Victory in Mountain. It's Mountain. Okay, so Victoria. Oh wait, is it like Latin? How do you say that? Yeah, I'll put a picture of this up uh, on Dude, the website. Badass. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, what it is is uh, once you climb to the top of a 14er, there's these geologic markers at the top, and they say the mountain's name, they say the elevation, and all this. So we made you, and by we, we didn't actually make this. I like you found, didn't chisel this out. I found a awesome. company that made, uh, which I think they're called like pewter medallions, and I could be wrong, but I'll double check. But they made custom geologic markers. Cool. And so what yours says is victory in montum, which is Latin for mountain conqueror. Yes. <laughs> 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 and there's a picture of uh, Mount Rainier. I just I dude, I thought dude. that was probably like one of the most epic experiences. It so. was an incredible experience in my life. And then it says uh, 14ers project. And I know this wasn't exactly right, but this is actually we started designing it before you finished. So 100 mountains, 100 days, 2016, Calvin Johansson. Pretty sweet, dude. Thank you, Chris, very much. Yeah, this man. is a very thoughtful gift uh and from everyone who contributed like makes me a bit emotional this is uh <laughs> it's cool and it's good like uh i i was having a conversation with my friend carl and and again he was talking about he's like dude did you have a celebration or anything and i was like nope just came back and let me proceed and he's like he's like yeah we're similar to he's like but you should really do something like acknowledge yeah. it it's kind of like, okay maybe i'll think about it yeah, <laughs> you man. know um but yeah so an incredible journey i hope to my goal is to try to work this into a book format, kind of picturesque and writing, so I can share it and um, those things. So yeah, yeah, we'll keep sharing a little bit of mission. But I think kind of a final takeaway: uh, if people are listening to this, like, oh, that's an incredible story. Sounds like an ambitious guy. I don't see myself climbing a hundred mountains in a hundred days or seventy five and seventy five days, or maybe one mountain. Or like, how do you get to that part? Like, maybe it's too inspirational, not aspirational. Um, like, how do I make it relatable in that, you know? I started to put together kind of like a pitch video when I went into this that you can see on 14ersproject.com and it kind of, I went through the last five years, four or five years, it's just kind of like, I didn't realize it started until I started writing it down, but this whole journey started a good five years ago with, you know, Chris taking on my first 14er, but then developing and refining and challenging myself from that point on of getting more physically fit. Uh, enrolling in challenges from uh, you know doing my first 5k and then a half marathon then a full marathon then doing a couple marathons and then doing adventure races and then trying to learn a handstand and all this stuff was just like building mental fortitude for this thing yeah. like five years ago I couldn't have done this and dude that's what I love leading man. up to everything you do leads up to these epic events like people see all the mountains you climbed and they're like that's you know that's amazing for him but they don't see all the other stuff you've done leading up to that point. And that's that stuff's almost the important stuff. It's That is the important stuff I don't want people to get lost into. And this is where uh, one of my favorite things I kind of like to tout now, which uh, currently you can go to join100club.com. Yes. I, we, I, <laughs> I started this podcast saying we're going to put this on January 2nd because of this reason, because of Join 100 Club. And then uh, this is at the very end. So I'm going to make sure in the intro to mention all this stuff. Okay. But go ahead. Yeah, the, the, a year ago, September, so a little bit over a year and a couple months ago, uh, I decided to take up a challenge to try and learn to do a handstand. I thought a handstand was just a cool move, let's be honest. <laughs> it looks awesome. And so I thought, hey, if I 
um, if I practice this, commit to for 100 days practicing this for like 10 or 15 minutes, I bet it, in 100 days I can probably do a handstand. Like it was like kind of an intentional goal to make sure I get to that end result a little bit. It it kept me, kept me accountable a little bit. So I just kind of enrolled into it and like things started to click more. Like I got more excited to work out or do core exercises because they're now part of a bigger goal. They're part of the handstand. And then before I know it, like 100 days passed, I had so much fun doing that and uh spoiler but i learned to do a handstand <laughs> it was like oh my god that's so powerful and other people i kind of i'd publicize it um at join100club.com i'd share video updates and i had other friends i had like 40 people or so who would enroll and join with me like you know practice trying to you know practice guitar or work on music or just write every day or meditate whatever they want to focus on improving their life just you know 10 or 15 or maybe 30 minutes a day whatever that commitment is but it's like I did that, and then you know, before I know it, uh, I did a hundred mountains in a hundred days. It was kind of like that wasn't the intent when I first set out. It was seventy-five and seventy-five because that's how many fourteeners there were. But eventually, I got to a point. I was like, I'm never gonna be in this position again. Like a hundred just seems right. I'm gonna yeah. go for a one hundred. And uh, there's just real power in consistency, right? Yeah. And so in the process, I always called it the one hundred day challenge. But I think really a more important thing to call is the 100 day commitment and this comes down to goals that people often they'll they'll think up of lofty goals and they might write them down but a goal is kind of something to strive or aim for you know it doesn't carry a lot of clout or weight where i think a commitment does and like maybe the commitment is the pathway to the goal so instead think about if you have a big lofty goal and maybe let's just use the 100 mountains for an easy example if i want to climb 100 mountains in 100 days and that means i'm going to commit to just climbing one mountain every day yeah and then over 100 days i'm going to get there so like it's through that 100 day commitment process which will really help you to refine become like really good at doing stuff and i kind of got this idea um there's this really viral video online about this girl wanting to learn to break dance and she did it she showed time lapse of her 100 day journey and she went from a terrible dancer to a decent dancer and then uh, i saw a guitar player was working on a sweep picking technique which is like a a fancy way to play really fast guitar licks you know at first he couldn't do it and then at 100 days he was just blazing through his guitar and yeah. there's just power in consistency <clears throat> there is man like what small things are you doing every single day yeah what pos- and what positive things are you doing every single day and what's that going to result in because everyone wants to play guitar everyone wants to look cool playing guitar yeah. everyone wants to you know uh I'm trying to think of something. You know, everyone wants to run a marathon. Everyone wants to be able to do 100 pull-ups. Yeah. But, like, what are you doing every single day to lead you to that point? That's what people miss, and that's what yeah. people don't understand and don't necessarily see. I did. Oh, and also going back to how 100 played out in my life was in the year 2013. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I did 100 push-ups a day for the entire year. Yeah. And what led up to that was, like, I was trying to get more motivated to be more healthy, and... For a while, I was trying to do like, t- my goal was 20, my goal, again, was 20 push-ups a day, and I kept failing. It's like, it just wasn't big or lofty enough, and 20 push-ups is really nothing. It shouldn't be, right? It's over the course of a day, it's doable. If you did two push-ups an hour, <laughs> you know, in 12 hours, you'd have, well, 24 push-ups, yeah. you'd four plus, you'd have a surplus. So I saw some challenge about the 36,500 push-ups in a year thing uh, some guy was going to do, and of course, analytically, I broke it down. I'm like, oh, that's like 100 push-ups a day. 
he was going to do it like every other day or something. Um, and I was like, that just seemed challenging enough that a big enough commitment, like I was going to commit to doing a hundred pushups a day for an entire year. And at first, like that first month was tough. I'd do like 10 pushups on the hour yeah. every hour. But it's like, if you break it down to 10, it's not very tough. Um, you know, but month two, before you know it, like I was doing 30 or 40 pushups in a row before I could do like 15 or 20, you know? And, uh, it was just a really powerful commitment in my life. It was just in my body, my physique changed and it didn't, when you add up the amount of time it takes to do a hundred pushups, it does not take that much time. But uh, people look at it as like, oh, that's really intimidating. I need to go to the gym. It's like, no, like at your desk, if you want to take a two minute work break, pound out 20 pushups. You know? Dude, and you let nothing stop you. Like, we were in Tennessee <laughs> in the Smoky Mountains. You were doing 100 push-ups, I remember, on the side of the road overlooking yeah. these beautiful mountains. Yeah. Uh, you were in the airport in Turkey or yeah. in Istanbul. Yeah, Istanbul, Turkey, you know? doing and push-ups. You were on top of Kilimanjaro. About, about Kilimanjaro. I was doing push-ups <laughs> on the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. And just like, nothing it was like, stopping it. Yeah, it was a cool time to enroll, but in like... And I had, like, showing little kids these orphanages I was staying at in Tanzania, like, push-ups, and they were joining me. And it's like, but again, that comes down to how committed are you? It's easy to make up excuses, little bullshit stuff that, and you, if you're going to be stopped really easy, you're not committed, right? Well, and if you skip a day. Oh, yeah. Or if you only get 80 a day, then it's so much easier the next day to be like, well, I can, I'll only do 80 today, too. Yeah, yeah it's easier um, this comes from the book of how will you measure your life. Um, something I always remember. This kind of goes into how I am. I'm kind of I'm a black or white, all or nothing kind of guy. Uh, the the author is talking about the idea of how it's easier to be 100 percent than it is 98 percent. And the point was like being all in or not all in because his uh, analogy or anecdote that he gave was he was a college basketball player over in Europe and he was a man of religious faith and he vowed he would never work or play sports on Sunday. And of course, his team he plays for makes it to the national championship over in Europe. And he sticks to his commitment saying he will not play in the championship game because he knew if he would just play just that one time, then later on in the future, he kind of reflect back. And he's like, well, I did it that one time. It wasn't a big of a deal. I'll do it again. Yeah. And before you know it, you do it again. So it's kind of like... It becomes easier and easier. And now it's a habit. It becomes oh. a cancer is what happens. So it becomes a habit. You let yourself off the hook where... You know, it's all be a hundred percent in, not ninety eight percent, ninety five. Like if you're gonna do it, do it, be committed, and you, you'll find like times will be really hard, and but that's the, what defines you as character. And if you don't do those hard moments, then they won't become easier in the future. Yeah, because I'm gonna be honest, I did the Join Hundred Club, <laughs> and my goal is to play guitar every day. I got about thirty five days in, and then I skipped a day, and then. Pff, from there on, I might as well have just throw it out the window. It's easy. When you break the streak, and you just got to get honest when you break that streak, it just really disrupts stuff. Yeah. And and I'm I'm not perfect by any means. I've failed on a couple of my own 100-day challenges um, in other areas of my life for not being completely committed. But you need to root that commitment in a powerful reason or a why and ultimately, you know, uh, be stronger than your strongest excuse yeah. and just stay committed even if that means you got to stay up an extra 10 minutes before you go to bed and strum that guitar for the 10 minutes like you said you would. Yeah. And so with the New Year's coming, the I mean... Or we're in the, if we're, we're, we're in the future. We're, we're in the future. In the we're, we're, yeah, yeah. It's 2017. It's January 2nd right now if you're listening to this when I like actually put it out. and uh, But it doesn't matter when you hear this. It doesn't, no. The day. It could be like... The message is what matters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... So, you know, if you're starting a New Year's resolution, 
instead of doing a crazy resolution like lose weight where it's just totally you know subjective vague, yeah, and subjective. vague and yeah instead of doing that what if you did you said i'm gonna go for a 20 minute walk every day for 100 days like what's that gonna result in yeah it's hard to see the end result but man it's it's really powerful once that compound that little percent uh, adds up there's this you know if you run numbers if you look at improving yourself one percent every day in your life uh, for an entire year of 365 days the math comes out to be like a 3800 percent difference because of the compound effect which is fascinating um but again so even think about improving yourself a quarter of a percent a day or half percent so and it comes from consistency yeah. like you don't get overweight overnight that doesn't yeah. happen you don't just you know, eat a little extra for dinner and you wake up 30 pounds heavier. It happens from three, four, five, ten 10 years of abuse from being consistently. The compound effect can work in either effect. way, man. Yeah. It can so, go positive or it can go negative. Yeah, so just commit to that 20-minute walk and like what it'll, you know, just start getting momentum and make commitments and uh, yeah, you'll start to see progress over time. There's no such thing as some bullshit magic bullet quick easy fix that a 14-day plan is not going to get you ripped or in shape or get a book out in the world. Things quality takes time. It just you can't shortcut time. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, and you're not going to see results right away, and that's the frustrating part. Where people want to, I think I heard this on your buddy Mitch Matthews, Mitch Matthews podcast, which Calvin's also been on. Check that out. But he's mentioning something about like. Everyone wants to skip from step A to step Z <laughs> right away to the finished project. When you wanted to do handstands, man, I'm sure you were like, oh, it'd be super cool if I could just do a handstand yeah. right now. But that's not realistic. Like, yeah. you're going to have to go through B, steps B through Y before you get there. You got to go through the basics, the boring. You just got to put the work in and make that subtle progress. Of, you got to build those foundation. And, uh, you know, people look at the, it's the, they look at the, destination but you got to go through that journey in which people don't usually publicize it's usually you get to see the end result no of someone one publishes rip they journey. see the perfect handstand they see the book publish they don't see all the stuff you actually have to go through and that's where you just need to be a reminder like you have to go through those things like you have to either fly walk or drive across the country to get from one coast to the other you can't you just got it that's how you get there <laughs> that's true you can't teleport no. you can't teleport depending when you've listened to this whatever time well if this oh, is like crap. you're like 2099 yeah. you but might still teleport you know what you're still teleporting you're having to go through a process yeah to get there. exactly well there's a um i guess if there's one last thing you want to check out there's this ritual article and it's this is where I'm going to not actually know the name of the article. <laughs> but it's something about, like, forget the life hack and put yeah. in the hard work. Like, the hard work is what's key. You're not going to be able to hack your way through life if you're not willing to put in the hard work, you know? The funny thing is, hack actually originally, uh, I believe, came from a term. When I was growing up, the term hack was, like, half-assed. It's like, oh, he's a hack. He's just, like... Yeah, yeah, it wasn't yeah. all put together. Just maybe kind of a dumbass, or for better choice of words, but just wasn't all there. Um, wasn't quality involved with that. But now somehow in the information age, it's changed to hack means like how can you shortcut things? Yeah. And to be honest, like I don't know if there is a process or system that will give you quality going through a hack. So you know, and I don't want to dismiss all hacks and save aside a lot of its buzzwords just to get your attention, but. Most hacks or whatever, it's just bullshit. Like yeah. the 
the most basic things in life that give results are boring. They really they're not sexy. They're consistency and showing up. You want to get in healthier shape, like eat vegetables, right? Like you don't need some special magical powders that's going to cleanse your body or yeah. fancy juices. Just start eating fruits and vegetables and get rid of BS. Like do some push-ups, do some sit-ups. Like <laughs> it's just if you want to write a book, sit down, write 500 pages and do it every day. Do it every day for 100 days, and you'll be at 50,000 words. That's yeah. a 200-page book. Basically, what we're saying is go to www.join100club.com. Yeah, and there's some there's some materials in there that will help you out, and I would love to hear about your journey if you're willing to do it. But if not, like that's cool. Somewhere too. in your life, find some consistency, have discipline, yeah, um, and make some commitments, and you'll eventually time will pass. Here's like the last thing I kind of say is time is going to pass regardless of how you spend it. You you could sit still for an hour or you can walk for an hour. The time is going to pass regardless. It's still going to be an hour. It's still going to be an hour. So before you know it, 90 days, 100 days is going to pass. A whole other year, the year 2017 is going to be gone. And the question is, like, are you in the exact same space as before? Or have you made progress um, in, in the essence of time? Yeah. You know? So Nice, man. We went on a rant at the end. Big rant. I know. <laughs> we just started long. like... like Looking at the microphone and just like yelling at it. Yeah, as my uh, <laughs> my hometown friend reminded me of this, like growing up in uh, high school, as we talked about these things are really just simple. They're not hackety. Our baseball coach uh, would always say, "Every day you're either getting better or you're getting worse. There's no such thing as staying the same." That simple. It's that simple. <laughs> it's kind of like, wow, what are you doing today to be a better person? How are what are you doing today to improve yourself? Like yeah. what efforts. Whether it's projects, lives, relationships, like what work are you putting in a day that's going to result in better quality? Yeah. Sweet, man. I think we'll leave off there. Boom. Dude, you did it. 14ers Project. Woo! You made it, man. Climb a bunch of mountains. So. Climb, hey, go out and climb. Like, find an adventure. Let's keep ranting for a second. <laughs> <laughs> find an adventure. It doesn't have to be, like, all the way across the world. It can be in your own backyard. Like, go on a canoe trip. Go for a run. Get away from your computer. Get away from technology. Exactly. Like, get back out in the world and nature. Yes. And when you're at your computer or technology, <laughs> listen to this podcast. <laughs> hey, go to join100club.com. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you, guys. Yeah, dude. Dude, I love you, man. I love you as well. All right, see ya. <laughs> that will do it for today's episode of the Like a Bigfoot podcast. Thank you, Calvin, for just everything you do. For me, inspiring me every day, keeping me driven, uh, supporting me in all my endeavors, and just really just being you, man. You are an amazing person and truly one of my best friends, so thank you. And I can't wait to see what amazing adventures you go on in the future. I know they're going to be awesome awe inspiring and quite frankly just something that will keep me motivated to to uh continue to follow my own goals and my own dreams 14ers project officially over so cool i mean come on man 100 mountains 100 days living in a prius a comfy prius as we heard very comfy it's just such a crazy adventure I, I'm going to look back on, on following Calvin this summer and climbing a few mountains with him this summer, and I'll always smile and and just enjoy reflecting on, on, this, on this project. 
and it'll inspire me to seek adventure in my own backyard essentially of Colorado and you know maybe head out and and attempt to climb some of these 14ers myself if you enjoyed today's podcast and you haven't heard episode two with Calvin be sure to go back look that one up it was I think he called me from California and he was like on mountain 62 or 63 or something like that so go back check that one out You also can find that episode and any of our other episodes on iTunes at Like a Bigfoot. You can just hit the little subscribe button. It'll pop up on your phone every week. No big deal. You don't have to seek it out. It'll just be there. Um, You can go to www.likeabigfoot.com and usually I'll write a little blog post along with the episode. Um, You can also go to SoundCloud, look up Like a Bigfoot, follow us on Facebook, like a Bigfoot. I'm on Twitter. I uh, I haven't done much with it. I feel like I can only handle like one or two social media things at, at a time or I will lose my freaking mind. But I am on Twitter, kind of, at Like a Bigfoot. That's a really great endorsement, Chris. Like, oh, I'm maybe on Twitter, kind of, sometimes, but you still should like it. Whatever. I don't know. These are just places you can find this podcast uh find old episodes so far i'm very satisfied with how it's going and i'm working on improving the episodes every week so any form of communication to let me know how you think i can improve it or you know give me some feedback or just a pat on the back pat on the back it's appreciated i don't know i sound that way uh yeah so go to all those things it's pretty easy to remember it's like a bigfoot all over the interwebs, I guess. All right, man, that's enough of me blabbing on here. 14ers Project, look at Calvin's, uh, all of his webpages, Join100Club, the14ersproject.com, Freedom Pursuit, and all the other great things, Calvin.Johansson on Instagram, all that fun stuff. And Calvin will be back on at some point in this wonderful year of 2017. So have a great New Year's, set some goals, be consistent, and do your daily practices of those goals, join100club.com, and be persistent and don't let anything get in the way of stopping you from accomplishing what you were meant to accomplish in 2017. Thanks for listening, guys.